we enter into this time of word. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Michael, and I am your pastor, and we're very excited to have you with us on this Sunday morning. I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite times of year. Um, I mean, let's just go down the list. One, there is finally a release from the oppressive heat and a little bit of cool. It is as if fall does exist in this world. I'm sure it's supposed to get to 90 today, and we're going to remember this morning. With, how many of you slept with your window open last night? Yeah, you should do that when you can, okay? Uh, it just, um, it, it's just, a, I love that. Um, college football is in full swing. I think, wait, Baylor just scored again. Um, yeah, uh, TCU put up a valiant effort. Yay. Um, it, it's just so exciting to... To see all of these games, I just get so excited. The Red Sox, it is Major League Baseball playoffs, which is awesome, even awesomer when Big Poppy's in full swing. Um, Corbin starts machine pitch baseball today. Uh, his first time, he's six. We're playing up with a new team, and uh, our old team, we're all moving up. And, uh, and yesterday, we're watching the Red Sox um, destroy the Rays, and um, it's because they're the devil Rays. They should be beaten anyway, but... Uh, and Big Poppy steps up first inning and just sees left hand and just cranks one out. Corbin looks at me in all seriousness and goes, Dad, I'm going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you are, buddy, with that kind of attitude. I love it. That's just okay. But you just bat on ball is all we're looking for. Um, that hunting season, um, those of you who love to do that, I, I, I do. And been out there. It's just enjoying God's creation. And then we get attacked by pumpkins every year at this time. If you came in on this side of the building, you didn't see that we have been attacked by the pumpkins there once again here, Charlie Brown. Um, out on your left, out the CLC, right out there, there are hundreds of pumpkins. And we would love, it's pumpkins for a purpose, um, is what we are terming it this year. I don't know why it took us so long to come up with that name. We've, we've been doing the same thing every year. The money goes to support different ministries around our church and around the community. And, um, and, and in fact, I think around the world this year. Uh, so we'd love for you to, to go enjoy the pumpkin patch. Uh, but we are in the, the, oh yeah, and then another thing happens in October um, every year, but this year is significant. Four days from now, our own Daryl Smith turns 40 years old. Yeah, I know. He likes to say that uh, I took those health quizzes and I'm really like a 27-year-old. Like, Whatever, you're 40. Um, in four days, he'll be 40 and I won't be. So I just want to point that out. Uh, so, uh, if you see him, wish him that he's an old man. So we are in the, the middle of this series, slavery to sonship. Um, we've, we've titled it, I've titled it something different. I think every time I've spoken about it, but basically what it is, is we are moving from an understanding of God as King and sovereign. Yes, he is those things, but to God as father. If we change our understanding of who God is, of how we see God in that light, if we begin to see God as daddy, it begins to change how we relate to him. But it's not just about how we see God. It then becomes how we see ourselves. And we started two weeks ago looking at us and talking about the fact that we see ourselves as orphans. 
Maybe you don't see yourself that way. But we live that way. We live as orphans. And we strive and we grasp and we try to fight for everything. Last week, Casey took us a little bit further, pointing out to us those moments in our lives and those actions in our lives when we are, as we call it around here, orphaning out. When we're acting like orphans. When we're not living into what we're going to begin to talk about today. Into the fact that we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We don't live into the knowledge that we don't have to fight, that we don't have to strive. We don't live into the understanding that we are sons and daughters of God. And if we are sons and daughters of God, I will say I'm a little um, jacked up and, and, and nervous for this uh, sermon today because it's going to be my last one for quite some time. Uh, Jenna and I um, recently came into a, a lot of money and um, we're going to do some more traveling. And um, it seems I didn't I didn't know this, but we have we had some relatives in Nigeria um, that have recently died. And have, are sending us a, a lot of money. They just needed us to send some, some documents and some information o- over there. Yeah. Anybody, anybody gotten those emails? Yeah. You know what that makes me think of a little bit is, uh, remember Ed McMahon? Remember going to the mail? Congratulations, Michael Crocker. You are a winner of this amount of money. Or you might already be. A winner. Just open up and find out. Remember, remember those publishers, sweepstakes, clearinghouse, or whatever it was? Uh, those, those of you who are of a certain age, and they would come with the balloons and the big check, you know, and no one ever knew anyone who got one of those. But you're like, yes, that could, it, it says my name right here, Dad. You're 10. Put it away. Recently, I've been getting a lot of these um, postcards in the mail that say that we have won, you know, this, this thing that you've, this form that you filled out, this inter, that you've entered yourself into this contest, and you've won this seven-night cruise. I never enter contests. But I'm going to call this number and find out um, about my cruise because I want it. We want things handed to us a lot of times. We want that understanding that, hey, somebody died and and left us everything and fixed it all. Yay. We want this this ability, this belief that um, we have everything. And we don't have to try for it. The fact of the matter is, we do. We are those people. We are those people that have everything and don't have to try for it. We are those people who have won the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes, but so much more. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And now you can call God your dear father. Now you are no longer a slave, 
but God's own child. And since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Now, there's this belief in our world that um, if you try hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can get it. You can become a self-made man, self-made woman. That if you just, there, there's this commercial uh, that I saw yesterday. It's a Charles Schwab commercial. This, old, this more mature woman who is walking down the street. She's going up an escalator at first, then she's walking down the street. And, and she's having these little th- uh, thought bubbles that pop above her head. And it's her resume, essentially, and all these things as she's escalating her career, the milestones she's achieved. And in it, she's giving us a, a monologue, and she tells about the hard work that she's done, and she, she tells about the sacrifice, and she says that she made herself. I have done all of these things to create who I am. Do you think I'm going to leave my finances to anyone else but me? You know, and then she walks into Charles Schwab. They're like, come on, type deal. And what it's saying is, um, move Charles aside, is that she did everything to make her who she is. I got an issue with that because I think there were two people a long time ago that had something to say about that. Her parents. None of us are self-made. None of us one day were sitting around going, I'm going to be created. <laughs> Hello, world. Here I am. I would reckon to think that that woman never changed her own diaper, but she had somebody else do it. I believe that that woman, when she was not able to roll over, probably had someone feeding her. I believe that that woman probably had someone along the line love her and nurture her and create in her this idea and this attitude that she can do something. Great. But it wasn't just her. Someone else. Now, if you're not a believer in God, you can look to the parents and say this stuff happened and they were there. If you are a believer in God, then you must come to this conclusion that God was the one who created her. That God was the one who loved her. That God was the one who filled her with these things. She may not understand that. She may not recognize it. But that is indeed the case. God is the one who created us. God is the one who lovingly knit us together in our mother's wombs. God is the one who said, you know what this world needs? This world needs a Michael Crocker. (laughs) And then he went, oh, man. Just kidding. This world needs this person. I'm going to create them in my image. Just as he created his son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus tells us and continually points us to the fact that God isn't just his father, but he is our father. Our father, your father. He says multiple times over and over again. He is your father. We are sons and daughters. We are children of God. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We have access to everything that God has. And yet sometimes we live like Wesley. Wesley from Trading Places. Remember the movie Trading Places? Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. It's a great movie. 
So the Duke brothers, if you remember, are these two powerful uh, finance giants. And uh, this is Daryl's illustration, by the way, he brought up in pastor's meeting. And the Duke brothers uh, have this deal. They bet each other one dollar that they can't take their protege, Dan Aykroyd, and destroy his life and take some bum off of the street and raise him up to be their protege just where Dan was in a matter of a certain time frame, time period. So they go on this bet. They start to destroy Dan's life. They uh, are Lewis's life, and then they go and they find Eddie Murphy, Wesley, and they, they pick him up and they raise him and they take him into uh, to this beautiful brownstone mansion there in New York and they, his butler and all of his people, and they begin to dress him in these fine clothes. And, and, you know, he's just like going along with it. He's like, and they're like, oh, this is yours. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I know, I know. And what does he do? He steals stuff, right? He starts picking stuff up and putting it in his pockets. They're like, no, it's okay, that's yours too. He's like, yeah, I know, crazy white guy. And he's like, you know, just putting this stuff. He's stealing the stuff when all along it was his. When we live as orphans, we're living in our own house and we're stealing from ourselves. When we live outside of this understanding that we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven, that we have access to everything, we're living as thieves. But it's ours. It's ours. We are sons and daughters. We don't have to fight for those things. We don't have to strive for those things. What brings us validity in this world is not our job title. is not our relationship status. It's not how many children we have. It's not how tall we are, how good looking we are. It's not what we drive. None of that brings validity to us. What does is the fact that we are children of God. That's it. If you're getting your validity, if you're, if you're believing that you are awesome because of anything else other than the fact that God made you, you're on the wrong path. What we need to do is begin to have an understanding that everything God has is ours. We need to begin to see God as a father who loves us so much and wants nothing more than to shower his love upon us. It doesn't always look the way we want it to. But it's always good. So yesterday I was watching the Ohio State Northwestern football game. And I watched college game day earlier in the day. It starts at 8 p.m. on ESPN. For those of you who don't know, they, they travel around to different college campuses every Saturday morning. And they set up, and it's real loud and crazy. And there's kids with signs in the back saying clever things and sometimes not very clever things. And, um, and they focus on one particular game. And yesterday they were on the campus of Northwestern University in Chicago. When I say Northwestern University, you don't immediately think football powerhouse, do you? If any of you are not football people, you're like, I wouldn't have thought that in the first place. But Northwestern University is a pretty well-known school. Why? Because they're smart. They produce really smart people. It's like a bunch of nerds who live by a really cold lake. You know, whereas Rice is a bunch of nerds who live in a really humid area. It's just totally, but so you don't think football giant. And yet they've become this really kind of powerful program in the last couple of years. They attributed a lot of that to their coach, Pat Fitzgerald. Fitz, 
as they call him. Now, Pat Fitzgerald played for Northwestern. He was a star a long time ago. And then he's gone off to do his career, whatever, and now he finds himself back on the campus of Northwestern, and he's rising this team up to be a great team. One of the signs during college game day was, um, keep your mitts off our fits. And it had a picture of the coach, and then it had a little picture of USC with a circle and a slash through it. And then, for some reason, I have no idea why they had this one, a picture of a longhorn uh, with a circle and a slash through it. I don't know. Are there coaching problems in Austin? I'm not aware of it. Um, But it was just, I thought that was very clever. Get your mitts off our fits. And then they point out these two really high-profile schools who are undergoing these coaching turmoils that anyone would want to have that job. And then I was watching the game later that evening. And Brent Musburger um, was showing this little clip of what happens when um, Coach Fitz enters the field every home game. Do you know who the first person to meet him on the field is every home game? Anybody see that? His dad. His dad is. Every home game, he walks onto the field. The first person to meet him is his dad. And his dad hands him the stuff to get all mic'd up and everything. And then he follows him along and he kind of gives him one of the father-son moments. And then he goes and he sits down. But he's there the whole game. Apparently, um... The elder Fitzgerald has been doing this at Northwestern for years. But for me, it was a significant moment. Because here's the deal. When the kickoff happened, Coach Fitz knew that his dad was there. And the place was rocking and roaring. And the game was going really well for Northwestern for a while. At the end of the game, it ended ugly for Northwestern. And they lost. You know who's still there? His dad. Didn't matter. Dad was there. The question of whether or not Fitz will leave there, to me, I, I put this terminology and this theology on Coach Fitz, and I have no idea where he stands in any of this. But my thought was, If Coach Fitz understands his identity, if he understands that he is a son and loved, regardless of what happens, USC and Texas have nothing. He would never go to those schools. He would never strive for a higher career because he knows where his home is. For us, we have to come to the understanding that every morning when we wake up, the first person who we come in contact with is Dad. And he gives us what we need for the game. And he says, my son, my daughter, good luck. I'm with you. I'm right here behind you. And whether you win that game or you lose that game, know that in the evening, when you come back and when you go to bed, I am going to be here. Because I love you. If we come to that understanding, if we can move ourselves into an identity that we are sons and daughters, if we can move ourselves into this this grasp of the fact that God, our Father, 
loves us so much that whether we win or lose that day, he's like, look, you made some mistakes in this day today. I get it. I'm not happy about some of those mistakes, maybe. But I still love you. And I'm still here. And tomorrow, I'm going to be here first thing. We begin to live into those identities. We begin to no longer see God as master, but as a loving father. We no longer live by the love of law, but we live by the law of love. We no longer strive for praise or approval or acceptance of man. We know that we are totally accepted in God's love and justified by grace. We no longer have a need for personal achievement as we seek to impress God or others. We do things because we're motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God. We no longer see authority as a source of pain, distrustful towards them. But we are respectful and honoring. We see them as ministers of God for good in our lives. We no longer sense God as conditional and distant, but we see him as close and intimate. We no longer fight for what we can get. We realize that our sonship, our daughtership releases us into our inheritance, which is the kingdom of heaven. This list is from Jack Frost. It's the heart of the orphan on one side and the heart of sonship on the other. And there's quite a few that I left out. The truth is, when I reread this list this morning, I found myself on the orphan side a whole lot more than I wanted to be. I found myself falling into different traps and habits that pull me from being a son to being an orphan. Because the fact of the matter is, changing how you see yourself is hard. Practicing how you see yourself is difficult. Because we're really good at being orphans. We've lived our entire lives and built these skills and tools to help us function as orphans. We need to retrain ourselves. We need to retrain ourselves so that we understand we are sons and daughters, that we are forgiven, that we are filled with grace and love and mercy, that every morning when we get up, it is God who meets us, and every, morning, and every night when we lay our heads down, it is God who drifts us off to sleep. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Everything that God has is ours. Right now, I'm going to invite those who are helping with communion to come forward. Because now we get a chance to take a piece of our inheritance. To come forward in one of the most tangible ways we can to experience something that God is giving us here and now. Freedom, life, salvation. Through his sacrifice, we find our lives. The night he was to be betrayed, Jesus sat around the table with the disciples, took the bread, broke it, and gave thanks. said, take this, eat all of you. This is my body which is given for you. After supper was over, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven and he blessed God for it. He said, take this, drink all of you. This is my blood 
of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And so we come in remembrance of these mighty acts of mercy and grace and sacrifice. We come with open hearts to receive our inheritance. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life that we are about to receive. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would make this be for us the body and blood of Christ. And that we might be living in holy sacrifices, proclaiming your glory and love to a world who desperately needs it. Father, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.